0: Oh for grace to trust in more, that is spot on with our text today. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, we're gonna be looking this morning at verses five through 19. We're talking about marks of growing disciples. Luke 17 and verses five through 19. So in this series, Tell me the story of Jesus. We are walking through the Gospel of Luke and we are especially focused on passages that are unique to Luke's Gospel. And there's a little parable here that's often overlooked that is unique to Luke and we're going to lock in on that today. And then there's a very beautiful, tender incident in the life of Christ again that is found only in Luke that we're going to look at today as well. Mark's of growing disciples. You'll follow along in your copy of God's Word. We're gonna begin reading with Luke chapter 17 and verse five. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Which one of you having a servant, tending sheep or plowing, will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready, and serve me while I eat and drink, later you can eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did what was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. While traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee, As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And while they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And we desire to grow as your disciples. We, we desire to be formed and shaped increasingly into the image of Christ. And so, Lord, as we, we look at some of the, the, the marks that characterize healthy, growing the disciples. Lord, we pray for your spirit to, to work and, and move and, and form and shape, and conform our lives to the image of, of Christ. Lord, would you work through your word now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of my favorite sporting events of the year um, is the, the NFL draft. And my wife will tell you, I get almost as much into the, the, the draft as I do the, the, the games because I'm just intrigued. I'm intrigued by what different teams are gonna do, you know, who they're gonna draft. We've, all, we've watched college football and you know, we, we, it's interesting to see where these guys are gonna end up and the trades that are made on, on draft night and so forth. There's tons of intrigue around it because all these teams are looking for that star that star that's going to, to put them over the top. But you know what? God is not looking for stars. God is looking for ordinary people who will just be faithful to him. Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9 tells us who the, who the Lord is looking for. It says, For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. God is looking for devoted disciples, for for growing disciples. And we see in this passage some marks, four marks of growing disciples. The first is this, that we're growing in faith. And we see that in verses 5 and 6. Let's check it out uh, beginning in verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now, the word increase here means to add. These guys already had faith, but they wanted more of it. They were kind of like the man who came to Jesus and his little boy was being oppressed by a demon. This little boy's life is just being torn apart in all kinds of ways. And we read about it in Mark 9 and beginning with verse 21. This father comes to Jesus and and, and Jesus says, how long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked the father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Can you relate to that? (laughs) I can sure relate to that. Because... I have faith in the Lord, but I want, I want more faith. I want to grow in my faith because so much of the Christian life is a battle to trust God. So much of the Christian life is just learning to trust the Lord moment by moment, situation after situation. But, but so often, as disciples, we, 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 we have spiritual amnesia. We forget you know, how faithful God has been And the disciples were like that. You know, in Matthew 8, they're caught in a storm on the Sea of of Galilee, and Jesus is asleep in the boat. And Matthew 8, in verses 24 through 26, tells us what happened. So suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to die. He said to them, why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. In Matthew 14, they are caught in another storm, and in this storm, Jesus comes walking on the water, and he looks at Peter, and he says to Peter, come. Matthew 14 and verses 29 through 31, he he says to Peter, Come, and climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? In Matthew 16, we see that the disciples are distressed because they forgot to bring bread on the a journey. And Jesus says to them in Matthew 16 and verses 8 and 9, Jesus says, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves that you do not have bread? Don't you understand yet? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you collected? You see, just in the recent past, they were lacking bread. They had five loaves of bread and, and two fish. And, and Jesus feeds a, a 5,000 people with, with that, and they collect 12 baskets of leftovers after that. She says, don't you remember? But see, our, our tendency in our sin nature is, is, is that we're hardwired almost not to trust God, not to trust him, and we have to learn to trust him. We became Christians by grace through faith, but then we have to learn to walk by faith, day by day, moment by moment, And so the desire to grow in our faith is a healthy desire. That's a good thing. It gets to the heart of the Christian life, learning to trust God. The question is how? The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. But see, something's a little bit off about that because they're focused on their faith. But see, we don't grow in our faith by, by looking inward and focusing on our faith. We grow in our faith by focusing outward on God, on who God is. We grow in our faith, not by focusing on our faith, but by focusing on who God is His majesty, His love, His goodness, His power. And as we see more and more of who God is, we learn to trust him more. There's a beautiful um, passage in, uh, in Prince Caspi in one of the Chronicles of Narnia. And one of the kids, uh, Lucy, is talking to Aslan, you know, who represents Christ in the Chronicles of, of Narnia. And she says, Aslan says, Lucy, you're bigger. That's because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are. I am not but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. <laughs> oh, I love that. As we grow in Christ, right, as the process of sanctification takes place in our lives, we see more and more of who God is in his love, in his majesty, in his power. He gets bigger and bigger, and we understand how, how he's not getting bigger and bigger. He's already big, but we understand more and more of who he is, and so we, we can learn, to, we learn to trust him more. You know, because they're coming to Jesus and they're saying like, hey, supersize our faith. But see, a supersized God doesn't need a supersized faith. <laughs> he can do a lot with a little. Jesus says in verse six, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the smallest seed that they used at that time, the Lord said, you can say this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. And so if you wanna grow in your faith, don't look inward at your faith. Look outward at your God, at who he is. It's been so great lately. I've been rereading J.I. Packer's classic book, Knowing God, and just focusing just on who God is. You know, as we see him, the more and more of his hugeness and majesty and power and love, the more and more we can trust him. We grow in our faith that way. So growing in faith. The second thing that we see here is growing in humility. Growing in humility. So we come to this little parable in verses 7 through 10. It's found only only in Luke. It often gets overlooked, but it's so powerful. New Testament scholar uh, Daryl Bach says this about this little parable. He says this little parable found only in Luke illustrates the ideal attitude that a disciple should have in serving God. So let's dig into it. Um, verse seven. Would any, of you, would any one of you say to your slave who comes in from the field after plowing or shepherding sheep, come at once and sit down for a meal? Now, I'm using um, the NET here because it retains, it's a, it's a word throughout this parable. And in Greek, it's, it's doulos. And literally, it means Slave. Most all of the English translations have kind of followed the King James and translating it as servant because it kind of softens it up. Uh, But it it really, it's one of my pet peeves, (laughs) should really be translated as slave because the first century Christians understood doulos means slave. I agree so much with what Charles Spurgeon said about this in the 1800s. Spurgeon said, where our authorized King James Version softly puts it servant, it really is bond slave. The early saints delighted to count themselves Christ's absolute property, bought by him, owned by him, and wholly at his disposal. Indeed, they did, which is why Paul refers to himself as Christ's slave over and over again. Romans uh, 1 1, he says, from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Again, in Galatians 1 and, and verse 10, Am I now trying to gain the approval of people or of God? Or am I now trying to please people? If I I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. John says at the beginning of Revelation, in Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his slaves the things which must soon happen. And he indicated this by sending it through his angel to his slave, John. And then in 1 Peter 2 and verse 16, Peter says, submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. And this point says something really precious. It is through slavery to Christ that we enter into true freedom. It's freedom. It's a slavery that leads to freedom. So let's go back here to the parable um, in verse verse 7. And it begins with this question. Jesus would any one of you say to your slave who comes in from the field after plowing or shepherding sheep, come at once and sit down for a, a, a meal. So the original hearers of this parable would have heard this question and they would have known immediately, this is a rhetorical question. <laughs> like they understood. Slavery was incredible, incredibly common in the Greco-Roman world. They were very familiar with it. It was very different. Than slavery uh, it, that existed in our country prior to the Civil War, uh, it was not race-based, and usually in first-century slavery, uh, slaves you know would earn their their freedom after a period of time, um, and so it was it was it was more humane, but still that didn't make it right. There and there were still rules to the game, right? And 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 one of the everybody knew, no no master would go in and and fix the meal for the slave and then uh, the slave would come in and the master would welcome the slave to the table. That's not how it worked. Everybody knew. This, when they heard that question, they knew. No, it doesn't work like that. And it didn't. No, it worked like this. Verse 8. Jesus says, won't the master instead say to him, get my dinner ready and make yourself ready and serve me while I eat and drink? Then you may eat and drink. And they were all nodding their heads. Yes. That's the way it works. And then Jesus says this, verse 9. He won't thank the slave because he did what he was told. Will he? Well, no, he wouldn't have. But when we see that, you know, we, we think about a verbal expression of thanks. You know, he, wouldn't say, he wouldn't say thank you to the slave for doing what he would do every single day of his life, a, a, normal, a normal thing, but this goes even deeper than that. New Testament scholar Joel Green um, says this about it. Thanks here would not refer to a verbal expression of gratitude or social politeness, but to placing the master in debt to the slave. Does the master come to owe the slave special privileges because the slave fulfills his daily duties? Does the slave, through fulfilling his ordinary duties to the master, become his master's patron? Of course not. Now, you know, this reminds me of so many conversations that I've had with people through the years um, about the, the gospel, you know, and I'll, I'll ask them about, hey, tell me your understanding of what the gospel is, or maybe I'll ask a, kind of a diagnostic question like, you know, if you were to die today and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what, what would you say? And they immediately start talking to me about themselves. They start talking to me about, you know, all the bad things that they've avoided doing, all the good things that they have done. And really what they're saying is that God is in my debt. You know, that that God owes me heaven. And you see, when people say that, they just don't understand the gospel. (laughs) Because when you understand the gospel, you understand God, God doesn't owe us anything but hell. He gave his son to die on the cross and take our sin, to take hell on himself, and to be raised from the dead so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. And he offers that to us as a gift. But even as believers who understand the gospel, I mean, we can get jaded. You know, we we can, we can, especially if we've been Christians any length of time, you know, we can, we can, we can slip into subtly, subtly in, in, our, in our thought patterns, just thinking, Lord, I've been faithful. You know, I've served you faithfully for a long time. what have you done for me lately? We might not say it like that, but that's, we're thinking that at a deep level. And we need to brought, be brought back to the, the point of this little parable. Which is that it is such an incredible honor to serve God that we should do it gladly and joyfully. Uh, Martin Lloyd Jones is one of my one of my preaching heroes, and um, you know Lloyd Jones before he, he became a pastor, he was a physician, and he was an assistant to uh, Dr. William Horder, who was the royal family's physician in in Great Britain, and. Lloyd-Jones was in line to become, he would have succeeded William Horder as the the personal physician to the royal family in in Britain. I mean, it was was the position every, every doctor in the UK wanted to be in that position. But God's Spirit was working in Lloyd-Jones' heart about, about preaching, about becoming a pastor, and he did that. And so Lloyd-Jones left this incredible position as William Horder's assistant, the assistant physician to the royal family. He leaves that and he goes to pastor this poor little congregation in Wales. You know, and so many people, when he did that, so many of his colleagues in medicine, they were like, Look, you're throwing away your life. You know, what are you doing? You know, and later on, Lloyd-Jones looked back on that decision And I I go back to this time and time again sometimes when I have tough days in ministry. Lloyd-Jones went back to that decision and he said this. He said, I lost nothing. I gained everything because he understood, listen, it is the highest honor, whatever you do, it is the highest honor to serve King Jesus and whatever we do for him and serving him, it is so much less than he deserves. And so we're to do that with gladness. And it says in verse 10, So you too, when you have done everything you were commanded to do, should say, We are slaves undeserving of special praise. We have only done what was our duty. Listen, serving the king is not something that we've got to do. It's something we get to do. It's the highest honor, we should do it with joy, joy and humility. So growing in in humility. Third, growing in gratitude. And we come now to this beautiful, tender incident with these 10 lepers and it's, again, this is only found in the Gospel of Luke and we pick it up here in verse 11. It says, while traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria in Galilee. So this is a an ethnically mixed area. Uh, we've seen already in our study of Luke that most Jews avoided Samaritans and they avoided Samaria. They would go hours, days out of their way in traveling to avoid going through Samaria or having contact with Samaritans, but not Jesus. Jesus would go right into Samaria. One day he was in a Samaritan town and he goes to a well and he engages a woman in conversation there and he asks her, her to get him a, a drink from the well. She's so shocked that a Jewish man even talked to her that uh, she says in John 4 and verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans, but Jesus did. He loved everybody. And, and so What happens is that this woman comes to faith. She ends up being the very first person that Jesus explicitly reveals his Messiahship to. We see it in chapter uh, four and verses 25 and 26 of John. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. He reveals his Messiahship to this Samaritan woman. And then something beautiful happens. You know, through her testimony and Jesus stays in that town more days, many more Samaritan people come to faith in Christ. We see it in chapter four in verses 39 through 42. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman had said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. Now, I bring that up because, once again, a Samaritan is going to come into play in this story in Luke 17. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Now, it says they stood at a distance. Of course they did. Because lepers in that culture could not come near anyone. And if anyone was coming near them, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. Because they were untouchables. Untouchables. They were separated from the rest of the population. They were separated from their families and friends. They couldn't even go and worship in the synagogue. And so being a leper, was, it, was, it was psychologically, emotionally, uh, relationally, socially, spiritually devastating. John MacArthur says this about these ten men. This was a lonely, pathetic group of outcasts eking out a survival existence on the fringe of society. Their disease was incurable, their situation hopeless, their lives miserable. Enter Jesus. (laughs) Enter Jesus. Now somehow they've heard about him clearly and they have heard that Jesus loves lepers and that Jesus has healed lepers. Because they begin to cry out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. That word master denotes his authority. And we've seen in Luke that Jesus has dem- demonstrates his authority over demons and over disease. And he does that here, verse 14. It says, when he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priest. They had to do that because they had to go to the priest so that the priest could verify they had been healed so they could re-enter society. He told them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And while they were going, they were cleansed. I mean, just like so many of the miracles of Jesus. This is so understated. Just go and show yourself to the priest. You know, like, it's... it's, it's there're no histrionics <laughs> you know no no smoke machines no no television evangelists with too much hair product you know no none of none of that it's just like go show yourself to the priest it's, it's it's so it's so understated and as they're making their way to the priest the leprosy makes its way off their skin and nine of them keep going but not one, verse 15, but one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice gave glory to God. This man, he looks down at his skin, which has become skin like the beautiful skin of like a newborn baby. And there's a new birth that is happening within him. And he understands that Jesus is at the source of what has happened to him. And wild horses couldn't have stopped him from going back and making a beeline for Jesus. Verse 16, he fell face down at his feet, thanking him. I mean, this guy might not have had all the intricacies of the Trinity worked out, but he knows that God is working through Jesus, that Jesus is the source of his healing and he he falls face down in worship of Christ. And then the kicker, and he was a Samaritan, the most least likely person. But see, we've seen this over and over and over again in Luke, right? So it's the most least likely people sometimes that are coming to Jesus. Verse 17, then Jesus said, we're not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? And in the original construction here in Greek, it's almost, it's, it reads it could read literally, and the other nine, they are where? You see, they were happy to just take. They were happy to take the good thing that Jesus gave and go on their way with the rest of their lives. And you need to ask yourself, when it comes to the ministry of Christ, am I a consumer or a contributor? Am I willing to just take in what Jesus gives and go on with my life, running it the way I wanna run it? Or am I face down before the Lord in gratitude, saying, Lord, how can I advance your kingdom and give honor to your name? Because I'm blown away by what you've done for me. Verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has Saved you, and that, that word there, the CSB translates it accurately as saved. Um, other translations may translate it. As your faith has made you well, okay. But this is a different Greek word than what we see. For instance, in verse fourteen, when he says that they, it says they were cleansed. It's not that word. It's not the word that we see in verse fifteen either. When it says seeing that he was healed, different word here. Now this is the word in verse. 19 that is used for salvation this man has been made well in an ultimate sense he has been healed at a deeper level than skin deep this is ultimate healing the deepest healing because see even if we receive a physical healing we're still living in these perishable bodies that are subject to death we need a deeper healing we need an ultimate healing we need the healing of the, of the new birth, of coming to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's what's happening here. The fourth thing that we see here is growing in love. Growing in love. And, and listen, love just pervades this entire passage. The love of Jesus for these helpless men and then the love of this man and coming back to Jesus. He comes back because he loves him. I'm so, rem- this story reminds me so much of something that happens. Um, it's in Mark 5, and it's the story of this, the demoniac in Mark 5, um, who is, is, is healed by Jesus. And this man's life was a complete wreck. He was slashing himself. He was uncontrollable, violent. And Jesus heals this, this man, and it, and, it, and it says that he, he was just sitting there whole, whole, and in his right mind and well. And you know what he wanted to do? It says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He just wanted to be with Jesus because when you love him, you want to be with him. And this leper comes back because he wants to be near Jesus. He loves him. And he loves him because he's he's been loved. He's received love 1 John 4, 19 says we love because he first loved us. And his love was shown to us in giving his son for us on the cross. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then he rose from the dead that we can be ultimately healed, ultimately made whole. And he invites you to that relationship today. Let's pray together. Lord, how we thank you for the amazing love of Christ. Father, we desire to grow as your disciples. We pray that your spirit would form us and grow us in faith, in gratitude, in humility, in love. Lord, we pray for for any who are here, who have not entered into a saving relationship with Christ. Maybe any who are watching a a stream of the service today or at any point in the future, we know it's not by accident. Father, we pray that you would open hearts to see who Jesus is and to turn to him and to trust him. And just speaking directly to you as we continue to pray, that could be you today. You need Christ. You need to enter into a a genuine relationship with the Lord. You do that by faith. Simply turn to Jesus and trust him today. Turn from trying to do life apart from him your own way. Turn to Jesus and receive him as a savior and Lord and king of your life. He loves you so much that he died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead that you can be forgiven and have eternal life. No one loves you like Jesus. Turn to him. Trust him today. And Lord, we pray that you would help all of us who came into this service knowing that we know Christ. Lord, how we desire to love you more, to trust you more. Father, give us greater measures of of humility of gratitude we desire to serve you with gladness in our hearts you've been so good to us and to the name of Jesus that we pray I hope you've been blessed by this message Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity and begin to read it, begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer, and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.